Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And if you have any questions or comments for us, you can leave them on our comments section of Podbean, or you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com. And we will get to them the very next podcast, I promise, unless I forget, but I rarely do. Um, okay, let's start off. Of course, obviously the election for, <laughs> for the people who believe in the Constitution, in the United States, and, a, you know, a few little things like that, um, was, was very disappointing. Um, it looked like the Republicans, by a razor-thin majority, will take over the House of Representatives. Um, the Senate races outside of Ohio were all a bust. Um... I don't really know what to think of that. Um, I too, I still believe, though, that since we never investigated or addressed concerns for the 2020 election, that certainly Pennsylvania, certainly Arizona, possibly even Nevada, um, I, I would be very suspect. It seems like these races drag on until the Democrats find enough votes to win. That just seems to be how it is. So I would be very, very skeptical that uh, that this is really happening. Um, you know, the Georgia thing's a debacle, so who, who cares? And, and it doesn't matter. The Senate doesn't matter anymore. Um, for the, the truth of the matter is, unless it's an appropriations bill, which is how this last, you know, build back better or whatever this fucking nonsense was that uh, they got passed, the, the trillions of pork that they got passed, uh, you really need 60 votes to pass anything in the Senate anyway, as long as you have the filibuster. So even though we have a zombie from uh, <laughs> from the state of Pennsylvania, that's awesome. They elected a zombie. And, and of course, I, I look at that and say, hey, you take all the politics out of it. If you're a rational person, you take all the politics out of it. And those two guys are running for the same office. I mean, there is no choice. There is there is no choice. Just take the political parties out of it, and there you go. Um, so it tells me that is democracy really working when some guy who's just brain-addled, can't understand what's being said to him, has to see it on a prompter. You've seen the sentences he makes. Um, you know, if, if that guy becomes a senator, then... You know, who's controlling him? Is it the same person controlling Biden, Feinstein, all these people who don't seem to have their mental faculties? Uh, really ridiculous. Which comes by to the next thing of, you know, Donald Trump announced he's going to run. I I personally I don't know if he'll win. I mean, I'll vote for him. And for one reason. There's one reason I will vote for Donald Trump. Because when he was president... He did everything he said he would, or tried to. He, he did more. He kept more promises. He, he was a man of action, got things done, and he did that a lot more and a lot better than any of these jerks since. And you look at Biden. All Biden is a, is a special interest stooge. He doesn't care about the country. If he did, he wouldn't have the uh, open southern border. If he did, he wouldn't be just dumping billions 
into Ukraine, a corrupt place that paid his son millions and millions of dollars, some of which must have gotten back to Joe. And he wouldn't be uh, basically running from the Chinese. Other people who own his, I guess it's his brother and his son. So there you go, you know, get what you pay for sometimes, and we, we got Biden. The funny part is, at least Pelosi won't be Speaker of the House. And uh, <laughs> last podcast was when that story with his uh, her her husband was breaking. Um, you know that that has really turned into a that that's a mini a mini stink bomb right there. Um, all of a sudden now, the Justice Department and we all know how honest they are. One of the most corrupt organizations in the government is telling a different story than the police, and you know I. <laughs> What, what really stands out is this seems more like a male prostitute thing gone bad. So apparently when, when Nancy's out of town, um, Paul invites, probably invites young men over because this guy didn't force his way in. And it's all very, very odd, don't you think? Very, very, very odd. So, you know, and the worst part of that is it was portrayed as like this is some mega attack on the democrats which is a lie and the people who said that are liars including including biden biden is he's either so insensible he doesn't know the truth between a lie and the truth or he is what he's always been i mean he's always been a liar um so therefore you know that's that's who he is so it doesn't take much inducement to get him to lie so he's, you know, old Biden is is up there. Some of these guys are saying it, but I think this is more of the uh, male prostitute gone bad because it just seems that's, the, uh, that's what's going on. So, you know, when Nancy's out of town, Paul's out drinking and cavorting, and <laughs> it looks like he's been caught this time, though. Not as sharp as uh, at 82 as uh, he thinks he is. Okay. You know, that's about, that's really about all I want to say about the elections. I mean, there's been endless analysis. Why wasn't there a red wave? I, I think abortion, you know, I, as much as I hate to say it, abortion is, is, is a huge issue and it mobilizes the left. And, uh, you know, there's no real middle ground you can tread on that. So, you know, um, the way that, you know, murdering and destroying life is uh seems to be a what the democratic party wants to do you know if you, and if people who know me know that you know i like animals um, i'm i like animals okay and and i get always try to think about well you know how do you how do you just reconcile all this if i had a dog and the dog was going to have a litter of puppies and i said and i just broadcast to the world hey you know the mother doesn't really, you know, she, it's, it's going to be a lot of work for her to take care of these puppies. And she's going to have to pay, take a lot of work, a lot of effort. I don't really want these these puppies around. Um, the father isn't around in the picture. You know, I don't know where the male dog is. So, you know, therefore, we're just going to go aboard all these puppies. Be done with it. There would be such an outcry from, you know, animal rights people and, and all kinds of other things. 
you know, they'd be offering to adopt the puppies. You know, that's that would go on. But when it comes to a child, a human child, our societal response is not that. Our societal response is more like, well, we pay Planned Parenthood. You can get a, you know, you should be able to get a federally funded abortion. You know, your dog should be able to go in and, and get federally funded abortions if, if we had the same rules. But we don't because somehow society has lost the humanity for a human life somehow we used to value that above everything else now we don't we don't value that you know and you see this continually with you know some a jogger gets attacked by a mountain lion or a bear or some other some other large animal and it's like well they shouldn't have been out there anyway it's their fault you know we used to take a different tact and say hey you know what um we need to figure out how to what are the rules that we need to coexist with these animals and hey if the animal steps over the line it goes you know it just goes you can't have the tiger that goes around and and they do this in other parts of the world you can't have the tiger who's eating villagers um, they don't sit there and say hey it's you know it's all their fault because they were out there picking picking rice or, or uh, harvesting some other kind of food or whatever else um, they go out there and say hey this we can't live with this animal. This animal has to go. It's killing people. We just don't seem to have that anymore. And we don't even have it when it comes to, you know, unborn child. Um, it's unbelievable. But anyway, those are those are all discussions for another day. It looks like we're going to have another two years. Hopefully there'll be enough of a Republican majority for two years to stop the Biden madness. And that's what it is. It's Biden madness. And, uh, you know, when Trump did his speech announcing he would run again, you know, the sad part is we are a nation in decline. I mean, decline doesn't even begin to describe it. Doesn't even begin to describe it. Um, you know, I think back, and to me, like 2019 were the good old days. The dollar could buy more, <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago. You know, we had some, we were controlling the border. It wasn't perfect, but we were controlling it. We were energy independent. Uh, other companies, other companies, other countries still feared us and feared that if they uh, made the wrong move and we went and, and uh, decided to, to deal with them, that we could. We've lost all of that. We've lost all of that. And uh, we're no more than really a regional power now you know we you know people laugh at russia you know people laugh at russia for their missteps and bungling in the ukraine but at least the ukrainians are armed and know how to fight they're not 12th century rejects like afghanistan and uh you know we got run out of that place by people with rifles they didn't even have any heavy weapons they just had rifles so uh, we are in decline and unless we turn it around um, it's just it's it's going to be bad. It may be with even within my lifetime, uh, the United States will be fundamentally different, and it'll be a poverty nation, which is what they're driving us to, a poverty nation, and the latest nonsense. You know when are we going to? If if I were king, if I were in charge of the government, I'd put a padlock on NASA, and I'd say you guys need to go find and invent other other stuff. Um. You know, we're spending billions of dollars launching things into space. 
And you know, the truth of the matter is we know that space is a big emptiness. While there are natural resources on the moon, well, I'm sorry, they're too far away. They're too expensive to get. Even if you could mine pure platinum off the moon, the cost of getting there and bringing it back is just too horrific. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And so we have a ridiculous, a ridiculous government with ridiculous priorities. So anyway, that is the political part. Not really a lot of 2A news, fortunately. Although I will say there is some 2A news. There was a, oh God, what is it? University of Virginia, I guess. I, I can't remember. Um, you know, there was a busload of, of students who went on a, tr a field trip. When they came back, uh, three or four of them that had been on the football team were shot and killed by a former team member and you know what that has not gotten the kind of coverage that a quote school shooting quote unquote gets and why is that it's because the racist media yet again this does not fit their narrative because the victims and the shooter were all black so it doesn't fit the narrative that they want to portray now, it's still every bit of a tragedy, no matter who they were. You know, race doesn't play a part of this. The only place that race plays a part of it is how much the media will emphasize it. And that's way wrong. That's way wrong. Um, you know, it's just amazing that they want to go around and call everyone else a racist, but... As I've said about the Democrats and especially about the media, they are what they actually call other people. When they call you a name, that's because that's what they are. And it always comes around to that. Oh, well, of course, this is the first uh, podcast I've done in basically two weeks. Actually, over two weeks. Uh, I had some, I had business. I had to do some business, so I had to be in other parts of the country I've tried to do podcasts in the past. There's some really early ones where I did them from hotel rooms, and and yeah, they just it doesn't really work out. So um, my deal is kind of wait till I get back to my familiar equipment and things. Uh, but I did go through a couple of um, military museums, which were awesome. Uh, one of them had a display, which I found puzzling, and I couldn't find anybody to explain it. But it was about the United States Indian Scouts. They called them the U.S. Scouts. Obviously, these were um, friendly allied Indians who helped the U.S. Army in the West scout out and scout out other Indians. So, um, you know, they were trackers, scouts, knew the, knew the land, so they were very useful. Uh, they and they kind of morphed into the Indian police, you know, when when everybody had been locked up on reservations, why they they kind of became the the police. Well, they had a seven millimeter Remington rolling block, which we would normally associate with south of the border, Central America, South America, maybe um, certainly Mexico. Um, so they had one of those, and I couldn't determine if. My suspicion is that the rolling block was used by the Indian police, 
but I don't think it was that model and that caliber. They may have used even number fives, which is the smokeless action, the last ones that were they were kind of rolled out, and those were the seven millimeter ones. Remember, they they were used up, they were made up through World War One, and France bought a bunch of them in eight millimeter label. A very cool that would be the coolest rolling block to have, in my opinion. Um, but there were ones in from Egypt and Argentina and Sweden, and um, then there were, the, of course, the 50 caliber rolling blocks that were used by the militia going going back a little farther. So. Is it out of the realm of possibility that the Indian police would have had a 7mm rolling block? No, but I don't think it's probable. I think they probably had um, more domestic calibers and probably earlier models of the rolling block. Probably when they used it, it was probably just, um, you know, the black powder versions, not really the smokeless powder versions. So... I think the smokeless powder ones really just foreign sales and you know if you couldn't get mausers or the mausers had a long lead time hey you could buy these and and have rifles you know and that's that's what it was and Remington never you know you, people knew they were buying essentially obsolete rifles but they were available enough and good enough for their purposes and that's why a lot of them wound up south of the border and and they supplemented you know the Mausers. Maybe the regular troops would have Mausers, and then the auxiliaries and and other things would have these these lesser rifles. So I don't know if anybody does know that they used a seven millimeter rolling block. Just drop me a comment. Let me know. But I do tend to think I do tend to think that they used uh, probably the uh, larger uh, black powder traditional American cartridges. That's what I think. Because uh, you never know in a museum. Um, just talking about museums in general, a lot of times they're not gun people. So unless it's strictly a military museum, and this actually was, which is why I, I, I couldn't find anybody with knowledge. The kind of the caretakers they had in there weren't, weren't the experts who were curating um, the collection. So they, they you know just don't know they they know how to take your money at the beginning and they know how to sell sell stuff in the uh, uh gift shop but they don't know anything else um some of them some of them actually know different things but nobody knew about this so you never know sometimes they just put something out there as well this is this is a an example it's not the exact thing but it's close enough it can be a good example and i think that's what this what this actually was but it'd be very interesting to know. So anyway, that's that. Um, all right, we've now kind of covered the, um, and there's some two-way stuff, not two-way, but there's some other stuff in the questions. So I'll just kind of go to those. Uh, the questions and answers, which is my favorite part of the podcast. And uh, the first question is, when it comes to snub-nosed revolvers, do you prefer five shot or six shot? And whatever your preference is, why is it a preference? Okay. Um, I will say uh, th this is hard. It's it's a very personal decision, and I've seen guys who've who've said both. Um, I was listening. I can't remember. It was an interview with a uh, New York City detective. A guy was was 
really renowned in, in police circles and in New York. And he liked the Colt because it had precisely because it had six shots. And he said, why would I not want an extra shot? Um, and that makes, that makes a lot of sense, especially if you're a policeman and, you know, you're carrying, it's not like you have to be 100% concealed all the time. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons why that would make, make sense. For most people, I think that the, the size difference, unless you're carrying it every day, uh, probably isn't that big of a deal. Um, I like, I really like the six shotguns. Most of those are Colts. And, you know, I'm sure there's other things now, but, um, but they're really nice guns. And, uh, it's nice having that extra shot. Um, when you're talking about the five shotguns, those are really, I think Taurus makes one and, you know, they, they're Rossi, you know, they, they, everybody kind of knocks off the, the Smith and Wesson, you know, does a does a clone or a copy of that if you got a five shot revolver, and you know my experiences with Smith and Wesson, and there's the really good guns, and what I like about them is the cylinder is a lot thinner, and the gun can be lighter, so I do for concealability and and as a main reason, five shots I'm fine with. Six shots would be nice, but it's a bigger gun, and you just have to accept it's a bigger gun, and that's the way it is. So, those are uh, those are it. I don't really, for my own preference, I prefer. If I had to choose to care when I was going to carry a lot, it would be a five shot. Um, that's just the way that is. Just because when I'm carrying it, it it has there has to be a convenience factor. So, I would say that the five shot is a better gun for carrying, but you know, I can understand why people want a sixth shot. Just, it makes sense. You know, it's nice to have. Another question. I would like an AR-15 for coyote hunting. What would you suggest? Well, you know, I, I don't know. If money's no object, just go out and <laughs> canvas the stores and pay your money for the, the fanciest gun you can find. Um, I would say... The thing I would look for are just some features. Um, if I'm going to use it for coyote hunting, which is shooting 200, maybe 250 yards, um, I would I would really want, if I were doing this, I would really want a 20-inch barrel. I would really want a 1-in-7 or 1-in-8 twist. 1-in-8 would be fine because I'm not shooting tracers. So like a 1-in-8 twist would be good so I can use the uh, longer kind of match bullets or or uh, you know some of the some of the enhanced bullets that weigh up to like 77 grains so I would I would want one in seven or one in eight twist um, I wouldn't be hardcore about having a chrome lined although I think chrome lining is a very good thing uh, but I wouldn't insist on it I could live without that um, I would probably just preference wise I'd probably want a chrome bolt carrier because they're easy to clean uh, I would want I would want a flat top and that seems like a no-brainer and it, it really is and that's so I can put whatever optic on it I want and I think when you're actually looking at this now you're you're actually looking that the optic is just as important as the rifle and if you're gonna do low light hunting um, 
it, they cost, but you know there are thermal Im imaging sites, rifle sites you can get, uh, rifle scopes. So I'd probably go with one of those. Um, you know, and there you go. And then the rest of it is the rest of it. You know, um, I think adjustable stocks are nice. Some people might not, depending on if you're going to have a if you're going to use it year-round where sometimes you're bundled up other times you're in shirt sleeves an adjustable stock is very nice so uh, those are some of the features I'd look for um, I wouldn't get too I get too worried about um, M-locks and Picatinny rails and a lot of accessories you're not really using it for anything except that hunting so really you want to put all your money into your your rifle and your optic and uh, maybe a good bipod and you know there's nothing wrong with a free floated barrel you could you could definitely do that although I find that some of the other ones shoot outstanding also especially for something like coyotes at that range so that's what I would get it, to me it's more about features than it is about a brand name so you can do that um, if you like and insist on a trigger you they're great aftermarket triggers you can just drop in at whatever after you get comfortable with the gun and you think that would be an enhancement then that's probably a uh, really good uh, investment but for me I prefer actually I was almost went with the uh, nice adjustable triggers uh, on one of my ARs I've almost done it a couple times but I've always resisted because there's beauty in having all of your guns with the same GI trigger which is not a bad trigger it's not a really a great cutting-edge target trigger obviously but it's a good trigger and that way my guns all kind of have that same feel so I I like that so and, and the parts are always easy to get so that's just me okay our next question is shoulder holsters do you like them do you use them and what do you think of them okay um, there's nothing more controversial than shoulder holsters um, I did use a Galco in Iraq and I liked it I think that was probably my best rig um, the nice part was I kind of wore it you know on I kind of wore it and uh, really liked it I could always have a gun with me um, the, what I didn't like was I it it was I could when I was when I was in full battle kit um, body armor and helmet and all that I I used a thigh holster and I use that for a reason because if I'm ever without my body armor I still have a weapon a lot of guys put it on the front of their their deal I didn't really like that I thought it was I thought it was kind of bad. Um, but there are a lot of times when you're not wearing body armor where you're running around and you, you had your weapon on you you know you always had a weapon on you that's just the way it was so um, I would use a Galco and I liked it because I had the the magazines on one side the gun was on the other and uh, very high quality so it was really nice super nice I forget what the uh, I forget what they call it it's probably the sub $200 holster now because I think it was like 120 when I bought it and that was a while ago so anyway that's what I used um, I did like I actually had as a backup in case that holster because they have grommets and little things in case that thing ever just didn't work I had a, um, 
a GI M7 holster that was uh, for the M9. It, it was a commercial holster, but it was M7 pattern. You know, it had U.S. stamped on it. It looked, looked military issue, but it really wasn't. Uh, really like that. I, that is the most comfortable holster. And I actually use that for um, for 1911s and for, um, you know, larger larger pistols like, like the uh, M9 and, and a few things. That's a good, that's a good holster. The weakness of it is um, it does not have a place where extra magazines are kept. It's just the gun and the holster. So you have to put those on your belt or somewhere else. Uh, not a big deal, but, you know, it is a consideration. Um, so th that's kind of, that's my experience. I have had uh, some experience with um, uh, commercial, you know, holsters kind of carrying around. I have felt that... Um, Oh, how can I say this? For smaller guns, the um, shoulder holsters kind of work. Um, I don't find them all that comfortable. Where I do find them a better solution is we're carrying a large gun. And this is not necessarily carrying concealed. This is just, hey, you're porting it around. And you can have it hanging on your belt and trying to pull your, your pants down around your knees. Or you can have it in a shoulder holster and the weight is borne on your, your shoulders. And um, it's especially nice if you can actually clip it on your belt and make it stable. Um, but again, unless you're wearing a 5X suit jacket, uh, that can be a little hard to, um, uh, a little hard to you know, conceal. You know, it's always going to look a little funny. Um, my, uh, you know, I have... I, have seen some of the older shoulder holsters I actually have one I don't really use it but um, you know some of the older ones were, were very well made and and reasonably comfortable but uh, for like a snub nose or something but I think there are just better options if the guns lightweight you don't really need a shoulder holster although you know for years probably from you know the 1930s through the 1970s they were very very common and in fact you know you see you know dirty harry has the shoulder holster of course when they're making a movie he's unless he's going to draw the gun from it he's not probably wearing it um as a matter of fact there's a big dust up those those were actually quite good holsters and they've been made by a bunch of companies if you actually google original dirty hairy holster or dirty hairy shoulder holster there's a company that still make them makes them i think they're very expensive i think these are almost 400 bucks so it yeah it'll set you back but they're very they're quite well made uh they're very comfortable um bianchi used to make a bunch of like the x15 and and holsters like that i've used those i've actually actually found one in a thrift store one time and i bought it um but I have two of those. They're really nice. Um, there's a big dust up though, a big, a big feud going on between some guy who used to design for Bianchi and the guy doing the, the dirty hairy holsters now. And and so when you Google that, you'll you'll stumble across some of that the feuding they're doing. But um, you know, I don't know that anybody really uses. In the professional world, I don't know in law enforcement, even if undercover guys or, or detectives use those anymore. I think everybody's kind of gone to the waistband holsters. So I, I like them. They're nostalgic. They're cool. They're Some of them are very comfortable. Some of them are not so comfortable. Um, if you're not concealing, they are a great way to carry 
um, a big heavy revolver or a big heavy automatic like a Desert Eagle. You can, um, I think Alaska, in Alaska places like that where you carry a, a powerful handgun when you're out fishing and doing a few other things, um, I think they have those ones that just do it right across the chest, you know, so it's uh, right there if you need it. So, um, yeah, they're they're good. Those That's my experience with them. That's what I think about them. Um, one, of, one of the things that always kind of gets me is, you know, it, when you watch old movies, you'll see the older holsters made by, you know, Lawrence and S.D. Myers and, um, oh, God, I forget the one in St. Louis, but you know, you see these old holsters, but a couple of things. One of them was Boardwalk Empire. You saw them with a modern Bianchi shoulder holster that had the elastic straps, which they didn't have back in those days. Everything was leather and buckles. Um, and that's how you can tell an older one from a newer one. So that's my uh, that's my little treatise on uh, shoulder holsters. Very cool, but, um, you know, they're kind of becoming a nostalgia thing unless you have a specific specific reason. And that reason is usually a very heavy handgun. Okay, did you see the in-range TV, what the M16A2 should have been? Um, yeah, I saw that. That's And that's all opinion. Uh, I will say one thing. It's opinion that's generated by people who are never in uniform. So therefore, they really don't know what they're talking about. And the, um, uh, the I guess what they're saying is rather than the M16A2, which we all know, they're saying that it should have been basically a polymer front. Now, it's also the company that's pushing these polymer lower receivers. It should have been a polymer lower receiver and kind of the A1 sights with the A2 aperture and the A2 front sight post and a pencil barrel and the A2 hand guards. And, you know, so it's, it's not really all that big of a deal. Um, what I will say is that when it was designed at the time, um, there were certain requirements when they wanted to improve the M16A1. And, you know, as we look back at it now, those may not have been all valid requirements, but they wanted a weapon that was more robust. They wanted a weapon that had more precision sights. And they wanted a weapon that had controlled automatic fire, burst fire. And they wanted a weapon that... Um, basically had a heavier barrel that was less susceptible to to the uh, to heat and a lot of people talk about sling pressure but that and that's part of it but they wanted a a more rigid barrel that would uh, that would hold its accuracy so that's what they effectively got uh, the mistakes they made is they kind of lengthened the buttstock which for me is not a problem but for some people was a problem and it was a huge problem where the m16a2 fell short was at a certain point we decided that everybody was going to wear body armor and it did not have an adjustable stock so you wind up having to slip your body armor kind of off your shoulder if you wanted to get a stock weld and take a shot um, later on of course the m16a2 uh, was a fixed carry handle and you know putting putting sights on it it's not really all that problematic as problematic as people think but um, it definitely the flat top was more efficient and you'll notice that the m16a4 is really nothing more than an m16a2 with a flat top um, usually 
Um, and, and there are different versions of these things kicking around, but they've got they've got floating barrel versions. They've also got uh, you know just a regular versions. Uh, sometimes they put an adjustable buttstock on them so that they can uh, an M4 style buttstock so they can do that, or they just put a uh, a fixed one on and say deal with it. Um, but anyway, it's it's very similar. The biggest distinction is it has a flat top so it's still a very viable gun and a lot of the things that they were looking for are still very very desirable traits um, what the in-range TV guys in-range TV is dying I mean that's they said it's dying uh, but the deal on it is although Colt experimented with polymer frame lowers and these guys are pushing polymer frame lowers because well that's just what they do and they, they think that's cool um, I will tell you the military would never go with a polymer frame lower on an M16 series weapon simply because of the durability issue. There's nothing all that wrong with polymer, but even the aluminum versions get beaten. <laughs> it can take some punishment. I mean, parachute jumping and some of these other things, um, or especially over the long term. You know, guys will take these polymer things and they'll say, well, I can run over it with a truck or I can do this and that. But, you know, when you're looking at the long-term service life of a weapon, metal usually um, holds up a little better than polymer does. So I would I would think that, uh, you know, the durability, long-term durability issue would be one of the reasons why you would never uh, want to use a polymer-framed um, lower in an AR-15 or an M16. So, yes, I saw it. Uh, no, I wasn't very impressed. And again, it's guys with no credentials trying to build the better mousetrap uh, 40 years in hindsight. The uh, A2 came out 40 years ago. So, you know, I mean, this is like putting, this would be like putting polymer stocks on an M1 rifle, you know, or a 1903 Springfield and going, hey, I've improved it this would be better this is what they should have done and the answer is well what they did was actually fine yeah in, in hindsight with some of today's technologies they might have gone a different way um, I do think they always should have kept the chrome bolt because it is a lot easier to clean and everything else now it's shiny and it could give you away and, and there was a time when anything shiny was bad so therefore we went to um, regular steel um, parkerized bolts and not chrome so but I I prefer the chrome to be honest with you when it comes to cleaning I prefer chrome but I can live with either one so that's that okay here's our next one is the nine millimeter parabellum a good choice for a revolver um, especially a sub a snub nose um, I, there's nothing wrong with it um, <laughs> what I will say won't be what well, kind of people will think it's kind of strange but most of our pistol cartridges and revolver cartridges a lot of them happen to be effectively nine millimeter look at 38 Smith Wesson 38 super 357 Magnum 38 special nine millimeter parabellum when you look at those, those are all basically 9mm cartridges. And then you, you can even go to 380 and some of the rest of this. So 9mm cartridges are not rare. 
and they're they're very very good and there's there's incredible amounts of them in use so of course it would be okay where they've made a mistake is and they all what they needed to do is look at the us 1917 revolvers if you look at those you'll notice that the barrel comes back into the frame farther and the cylinder is shorter and that was to accommodate the shorter automatic pistol cartridge the the 45 ACP and as near as I can tell I've never seen a nine millimeter that does that and I think they would be they would be well served to do that because what I've normally seen is a gun that's rechambered it's like a 38 special gun they put a notionally at least a nine millimeter barrel and a you know nine millimeter cylinder in it and an example of this even though it's single action an example of this is the Ruger Blackhawk convertible where you have a nine millimeter cylinder you can drop nine millimeter rounds in it and you know blaze away take that cylinder out put in a 357 magnum cylinder and shoot 38s and 357 um, I've often thought for years that that is an outstanding combination for a gun I mean that's outstanding um, and when you talk about ammunition versatility and all that um, what what kind of dampens that is back in the day where nine millimeter was a little harder to find and 38 and 357 were plentiful everywhere had the situation has been reversed you can find nine millimeter everywhere and 38 and 357 are more difficult to find so uh, I, I don't know about the versatility but if if you're a prepper or a person who's worried about those types of situations that's a very very good gun to have because it can use three different types of ammunition um, that's that's good that's good um, so and they actually had a nine millimeter rimmed federal for a while I think somebody somebody produced a revolver for that um, you know kind of a 45 auto rim concept that was downsized to nine millimeters same thing so I'm not opposed to them but I think unless they're unless they're really unless they're actually engineered to be a nine millimeter revolver it's just something else rechambered and I'm not a huge fan of guns that are re a basic gun which has been modified or or I should say even factory chambered in a very different cartridge will have will it will affect its handling characteristics quite a bit um, here's a couple of examples uh, Colt Diamondback is perfectly scaled for 38 special okay well I, I actually inherited it I have a Colt Diamondback 22 it handles differently because it's a lot heavier because you know the the bore is only 20 the the outside barrel is the same dimension but the the bore is only 22 caliber meaning there's a lot more steel in the barrel and thus the cylinders are the same way there's a lot more steel in the cylinders therefore it becomes a lot heavier gun firing a much less powerful cartridge and the good part is hey it's no it's it's nice and accurate and it has no recoil but the bottom line is you're carrying a lot of weight to do that um, as a matter of fact our next question we'll get into this a little more so what I'm saying is sometimes rechambering something is sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't in a basic gun 
Um, I've always found that end frame, although I like the weight, end frame 38 specials, like the Outdoorsman, the Heavy Duty, uh, even even the, the 357 ones, the Model 27 and, and the rest, those are, those are heavy guns. Those are very heavy guns. When you talk about them in 44 or 45 caliber, actually they become lighter and they become their handling actually improves because an end frame really excels with 44 or 45 caliber. So, and when you make it something smaller, you change the handling characteristics. So, uh, a nine millimeter revolver, unless they kind of set the barrel back in and keep the cylinder a little shorter, that'll help the accuracy, that'll help a lot. Um, the other thing about it is nine millimeter is not known as a super accurate revolver round. So, you know, it outside of having commonly available ammunition and maybe ammunition that's that's interchangeable with an automatic, um, I don't know that uh, there's any real advantage to having a nine millimeter revolver. That's that's all I can say. That's all I can say on that. All right. Here is another question. What is your opinion of nine millimeter 1911A1s? Um, okay. There's a couple different things, and I'm gonna go. And it's it actually it actually kind of goes back to the previous question. The 1911 was scaled for the 45 ACP cartridge. Okay. It works great. Everything, every dimension in that gun was basically designed to be optimal for the 45 ACP. And that's why they function so well. That's why people in Turkey can make them for 500 bucks or 400. No, it's 400 bucks. And they shoot like crazy. I mean, they shoot great. So the 45, 19, and the 1911 are made for each other. They, they designed the gun around the cartridge. So when you change the cartridge, things are not exactly optimal. And all of a sudden, the, the ejector and the extractor and a few other things have to be changed. Then the barrel has to be changed. Then the magazine has to be changed. And then the recoil spring probably has to be changed. So when all is all said and done, when it's all said and done, um, you're looking at it and it, it may not work as optimally as a 45 ACP. There are more stories about 9mm 1911s that don't shoot very well. And that's fundamentally a reason why, especially if a guy is doing kitchen table gunsmithing. Now I realize the high-end guys can make it work and you know but the mag even the magazines are a challenge um you know the the it does work pretty well in 38 super although i think it's you know again it's not it's it works okay in 38 super it works fine but it's not as good as it is in 45 acp and the nine millimeter ones are less i don't know why you would want a nine millimeter 1911 really i just i know they double stack them now and and all the rest i don't see the advantage of paying 
the kind of prices they want for those when there are just scads of other nine millimeter pistols available that have the same capacity why would you why would you do that i mean you know the fact of the matter is you can get a cz 75 type gun in nine millimeter which has a lot of the attributes of a 1911 and there you go or you know just as good maybe even better is a browning high power you can get that and and so you know there's there's a lot of choices around there i, I just think that it's it's just kind of going around rabbit hole and it's kind of having something neat just because just for the cool factor just for the neat factor uh i just i think that you know still to me the the best pistol caliber for the 1911 is a 45 acp so that's that's what i think about the nine millimeter guns in in it and i know there's some there's some big names in the industry who are charging big dollars for whatever they call them they call them 2011s or something something ludicrous like that and uh you know guys are paying it so so awesome have at it i would i would say this i would be very skeptical and i haven't tested it obviously but i would be very very interested in shooting one of the higher end 2011s against uh, a sig p210 target which probably costs half the money it's not a cheap gun but it costs half of of what these other guns cost i would say that i would be very very interested to see the outcome of that and my guess would be my my estimate would be that the sig would outperform them noticeably noticeably and the follow-up question to that is what about the 1911 in 10 millimeter uh, I think that's, you know, that's fine. Um, it's close enough dimensionally to a 45 ACP in some ways that it 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 will it will work. It's not out of place in the frame. It's not too small for the frame. Um, I've always just worried about the 10 millimeter 1911s because I think there's there could be a durability issue, but you have to shoot the gun a lot to see that most people won't shoot that gun enough to see that so um but i could you can make a case for that the the case that you may not make with that though is the durability uh what are what are some of the things that, you know like if the front sight is not dovetailed in but it's staked in um that might go flying at some point if you got an adjustable sight on the back that might go flying too um be really careful with the recoil springs and the frame um just frames cracking or battering uh those are just the things i can think of um yeah so and again it's gonna depend on having good magazines so uh, the only the only problems I've ever had with the 1911 have been with crappy magazines, and there's some out there. There's some marked like GI magazines. There are some marked like Colt OEM magazines, and and I will tell you this: anytime you see an inexpensive nine uh, 1911 magazine, you probably should just buy one to see if it works. And if you don't, 
<laughs> if you buy a lot of them, you might be disappointed. But there have been these seven and eight dollar magazines out there forever that are just not very good at all. So um, it's interesting, very interesting. Oh, one more thing about uh, nine millimeter, nineteen eleven style guns. Um, you know, people who did get it right. You know, I, as this just kind of uh, um, came to me as I was thinking of the last couple of comments. Uh, the people who really got it right are the most underrated people who make firearms, and that's the Spaniards. Um, Spain produced some really excellent 1911 style guns. They weren't exact copies, but they were very close. I mean, you put it next to a 1911, and in fact, in fact, uh, a lot of the star guns uh, that you know were used in the um, used in the movies, you know, because they they were low cost. They looked like a 1911. I think even the Wild Bunch, uh, William Holden uses one. You can tell because it's got the external extractor um, that you can see on the side. But the Spanish guns were scaled down just slightly. Um, I would say they're about a 90% size of a 1911. And that's, that hit 9mm Largo, which was a longer 9mm, about like 38 Super. And also, they did make 9mm Parabellum guns. They, those came out just about right. And in fact, um, I'm a big big fan of the star bm i think the star bm is a very cool gun and a very good gun and that's partially because it is scaled now it's a little heavy for a nine millimeter especially if you uh, put it up against a walther p1 walther p1 with the aluminum frame is a lot lighter and you know a very good gun but i really like the star and i really like the Star Super, Star Super B, those are very cool guns. And they uh, they made a couple of, you know, I, I won't go here. I'm not here to, I really can't go over all the little details, but they made some improvements. Uh, the takedown of the uh, Star Super um, is a lot easier than the 1911. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very, very good gun. I really, I have one. I really like it. Um, nine millimeter largo a little hard to find but not impossible starline makes the brass so you know and it takes a regular nine millimeter bullet so you can be in, in business uh, the star is a very cool gun uh, the other the other thing is uh, the bm and the bkm one has an aluminum frame the other has a steel frame um, you know those were those were around cheap for a long time and it, it, some people bought them up but um, they're still around. I think you pay a little more for them, but they're still around, and they're they're just good guns. And unlike some surplus, uh, they were made in like the 70s and 80s, so they're they don't quite have that 80 or 90 year old age to them. Um, I really like those. I I think they're they're excellent. Um, I think the Astra guns are very cool. Also, they're not 1911s for the most part but um, they're cool they, they do have kind of a snappy recoil because they are uh, blowbacks but uh, the Spaniards when you look at the quality of manufacture um, they're they're really basically as good as anybody I mean they're as good as anybody 
I think they got a terrible reputation from the Ruby pistols and and some of the things that they were were kind of selling around Europe for for decades and decades, which which were you know low end guns. Um, some of their Mausers, which hit the surplus market, had really been you know through the mill, so they didn't have a really great reputation. But um, you know, like the FR7 and FR8 rifles are very cool rifles. Um, I wish I bought. I can remember the FR8s being less than 150 bucks, and uh, you know that would have been worth. It's it's a very cool bolt action that has modern features. Takes a modern bayonet. Very cool. Um, like it like it a lot. And uh, you know the guys who got them got a good deal because they're really good rifles. Uh, but Spanish the Spanish make good guns. But they the the genius was. They scaled it down just enough for the cartridges they were going to chamber in it, and uh, that took that took some brains, and they did it. Now Colt, when Colt is in the 1950s, and they wanted a you know 38 super and a nine millimeter, they just same gun, just different size holes in the barrel, and and you know whatever little tweaks they had to make to make them run, um, and you know that was it. So you got to again you got a heavier gun than you needed for the cartridge and you got a little bit larger gun that you needed for the cartridge and by the way if you're looking for holsters for holsters can be a super challenge for the older guns um you know you can't find a holster for colt diamondback you can't find a holster for a lot of things but for a star bm or bkm anything that'll fit a colt commander will fit these star guns it fits it pretty well they're a little bit shorter but that's okay and they're a little bit smaller but not noticeable in the holster they don't like bang around or anything inside the holster so a cold commander holster will usually work pretty well for them well that's it for this edition of old school guns the podcast that tells you exactly like it is so, again, if you have any questions or comments, you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com. Put them on our comments section on Podbean, and Podbean is where you can find us. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>